I don't know where I would have ended up. My behavior was so reckless. I didn't know where I would end up every time I got drinking by that stage. Like it saved my life. Like actually being vulnerable and putting my hand up and going, yeah, I need help was the best thing I've ever done. Welcome to the 25 Stay Alive podcast with Hugo and Dahlia, two cancer survivors who are passionate in helping the lives of others. Nothing is off limits, so prepare yourself for tears, laughter, and goosebumps. And Dahlia's on the back <laughs> So on today's episode, we sat down with a very, I say, brave young man. Um, his name's Damo, and he's been through alcohol addiction, and uh, he's a recovering alcoholic, and he's got quite a journey. And I think it's very prevalent this episode in today's society, especially Australia, uh, talking all things alcohol and how and how alcohol can seriously impact your life. And you know uh, Damo quite well, Dalia. Yeah, Damo, uh, Damo and Dave grew up together down in McLaren Vale, and so. Um, I've known Damo for a little while now, so it's been um, pretty interesting to see how um, how much he's changed since um, becoming sober, and it's a pretty big deal for him to share um, any of this. I don't believe he shared it with many people at all, so he's a bit sort of reserved at the beginning of the episode, but he really um, makes some fascinating points towards the end there, so he really opens up the, the more he gets going. Yeah, absolutely. I really got a lot out of it myself, uh, but before we do get, get into the episode, I do just want to put out there that... This episode, although we do talk about some very serious, very serious points in regards to alcohol and how dangerous alcohol can be, we're not trying to discourage people from drinking. Uh, in fact, Damo himself says, look, it's all about drinking moderation. And if you don't have a problem, you don't have a problem. Myself, I love to have a glass of wine or two. And by all means, this episode's not designed to make people stop drinking. And we're not trying to be those people to, to do that. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's definitely just uh, more about education and just having a bit more of a conversation about it. We're here with uh, Damo. Say hello to everyone, Dame. Hello. How are we all? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Damo in today because he has been how many months, Dame? Uh, I think I've just clocked about 16 months over, so putting in the good work. Nice. Congratulations to you. That must be such an amazing thing to be able to say. Yeah, it's something I didn't believe was really possible, especially in the end of my drinking, but no, it's definitely for the better, that's for sure. Yeah, it's awesome, Damon. It's uh, it's great to have you on the show, mate. I can't wait to explore your journey and what you've had to overcome. And I think it's very prevalent in today's society, especially in Australia, uh, with the culture of drinking. And I think it's also a relevant topic as well with Dry July coming up as well. And I've got a lot of mates personally doing Dry July. And so it'll be interesting to explore the reasons why people do Dry July and, and how difficult it is for a lot of people to take, say, 30 days off drinking and why that's the case because a lot of people are so dependent on drink without even knowing it. So, look, before we get into your journey with alcohol uh, dependency and alcohol addiction and, and what you've had to overcome since then, we might just uh, ask you a bit about you uh, as a person and kind of you know, your upbringing and what your, uh, what your life was like growing up. Yeah, right. So I guess like before getting into sobriety, I would have given just the happy-go-lucky story. Pretty cheerful kid, pretty regular upbringing, separated parents. That's not so uncommon. Uh, I've got like four brothers, uh, managed to, you know, bang my way out through school, did the whole gap year, first year out before going to uni, discovered snowboarding in that period of time. And that just sort of like took over my life after sort of that dream faded a little bit, uh, just through the injuries, just, you know, banged out uni and then just been sort of working. 
fast forward to it, it's honestly it's like it's it's hard to sort of paint the picture of what the past was having come into recovery um, and then actually really looking back at my life because it's completely different to what I would have said previously because, you know, there's a lot of unpacking that you do and you're looking at yourself to try and grow as a person. So going mm. back through that history, that's like a very lightly painted, like, yep, everything was all cool, but now I'm in, the, in that process. Like it's a completely sort of different idea that I had of what I was actually living at the time on the outside it would just be like yep things were cool i did snowboarding i did uni for a bit i've worked i've done all that kind of stuff but like the underlying stuff is never really fitting in like never sort of that kind of feeling like it's it's a very disjointed sort of idea yeah. of what i have in the past like it's, it's hard for me to actually give you a rundown um of what it was Do you feel like your perception of your past is a little bit distorted is that kind of i think it's just like a, a new acceptance or a new understanding of sort of the life I, I was living, if that sort of makes sense. Because in the past for me to cope, it would just be like, yeah, everything's great, everything's cool, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But really like struggling on the inside because I've never been happy and like not never been happy as such, but just not really knowing the place in the world. And I don't know if that's like not such an un uncommon feeling. I think for just people, you know, going through adolescence and growing up and that kind of stuff, but really not finding a connection. Absolutely. And it's, I suppose, talking about that growing up in your adolescent years, the drinking or when you started drinking, was it kind of more just the, the normal social drinking of going out to parties and drinking with mates and that type of thing? And I suppose at what stage during those years did you look back at now and think, you know, you probably were drinking more than the, the normal person or at the time were you just a typical young bloke in his teenage years drinking a bit with his mates yeah like I, I would i would consider my drinking pretty much the norm especially from like a social sort of construct like a cultural thing like it seemed very very normal uh just yeah having drinks on the weekends you know especially you know when you're first 18 you know getting loose is it's exciting it's fun you're fighting your independence so it, i don't think it started as as what i saw as a like a problem but it definitely progressed and and that's sort of the slippery slope i found myself on because if i get i look back to like my early 20s and it wasn't so problematic and you know you'd, you'd have a bender here and there you're like Phew, got it got a bit rowdy there like got a little bit out of control but yeah, it wasn't you know sort of hindering my life i was still holding down jobs and very, very sociable. It was, you know, it was the thing to do. Like, you know, what are you going to do when you hang out with your mates? You're going to have a couple of beers. You're going to, you go to sport. You're going to have a couple of beers. Like, it's just that, it's that social lubricant. Like, if you're doing it responsibly, it's an enjoyable time. But I think mm. as it progressed, I was drinking more and more and doing less and less, if that makes sense. Like, the, the magic that I found it was giving me, like, you know, wash away all your worries kind of thing. Like, I was becoming more dependent on that too sort of get me through the day-to-day. -day. So that's where it turned into a slippery slope. So I'd say like it started off casual, normal, fun, but in time for me, it just turned into just too much of a, a bird. So from my perspective, like I don't feel like from the outside that I started to, let's say, notice or like understand what was going on, probably not until like 2016. Yeah, like the last couple like, of I years. Like I feel like that year made it a little bit more aware to the people around you because maybe perhaps you were able to mask it a bit more easily prior to that or maybe it just sort of amplified in that year. But I feel like that's kind of maybe when I felt like I was noticing it a little bit. Yeah, and I think like being in recovery, you, you, you are looking 
uh, a lot more at, at your sort of drinking history and identifying what people might call like a rock bottom just when, you know, shit's hit the fan. Um, and I think it just progressed. In recovery, you talk about the progressiveness of your, your drinking and it just got to a point there where the cracks had started to show. It, it was harder to keep that front that I was so accustomed to sort of projecting. It, it was just getting harder and harder. And that is probably the trajectory where my drinking was going. Like I was starting to drink more and more and in doing so care less and less about keeping up that facade. So it's just, it, it, for me, it just, that was the point of progression where my willpower to not want to just drink all the time, like I'd kind of let the ball drop there and was just like, well, this is what helps me cope. I didn't realize that I was doing it at the time. Only looking back at it now, I can identify that like it was just, just a coping thing. And instead of yeah. going, I'm going to wait for the weekend to do this, it slowly progresses into a couple of nights a week, three nights a week before, you know, I'm having a bottle of wine every night and then it just, it accelerates. It's an interesting point. I was going to, going to ask you on that. It's the progression or transition from being, like you were saying, the typical social drinker, drinking with mates, weekends, having big nights, which, you know, we're all guilty of. Yeah. Well, I know I certainly am, but then kind of moving progressing to realizing like you drink more of a dependency on drinking yeah. and then you're drinking every night then you're by yourself and you drink and you realize that you know holy shit this has gone far beyond just a social drinking enjoyment aspect i'm doing it because i need to do it what was the the trigger point or reasoning that you thought hang on this is probably a bit more serious than i thought i need to do something about this that's a bit of a tricky one too because i don't think anyone you know, has a moment where they high five themselves and go, shit, I'm an alcoholic. Mm. A, a lot of sort of continuing that bad behavior I'd got into was kind of justifying my drinking and, and even just like manipulating my own thoughts to be able to keep doing what I was doing. Like I was finding really any excuse in the end to be able to do it and wasn't really looking as to why I was doing it. Like you could say, like Dahlia mentioned, maybe 2016, things started to get a bit rocky for me, like, you know, cracks starting to show. So I, I'd been aware, like, yeah, I probably do drink too much and maybe I am drinking for the wrong reasons, but it's not enough of a catalyst to make me want to stop. Like at that point when I feel like I'd surrendered in a sense to like my addiction, I was like, well, this is me now. I just accepted like, I'm just going to drink like this. I, I, I wasn't really willing because I, I, I couldn't feel like I could cope without it. It had sort of get gotten to that point where I'm just accepted, okay, I drink like this and it's, it's all okay because for those two years it gradually got worse but I was still like maintaining a job. I was still being sociable most of the time you know like i was still able to keep up an appearance and and a front enough like things are okay like yeah maybe my mood would be a bit off here and there but i was still able to keep going and because i was still able to keep going it just kept me not identifying it really just took a progression of two years of just it, it catches up with you like if you're just continually suppressing your feelings and emotions and just denying everything that's going on like just because you don't acknowledge your feelings and deal with them doesn't mean they're they're not there they're just under the surface and it sort of just built built that pressure cooker and eventually mm. it, it's, it's going to explode so it took maybe two years of that where i i still couldn't ask for help and i don't know if that's just it's a, a guy thing or a pride thing but for me like being so shut off from my emotions for so long i i couldn't reach out for help but then in my drinking like my behavior just became more dangerous and i was 
doing really risky things and just putting myself in dangerous scenarios with dangerous people. And I think that was like subconsciously some kind of cry for help. And enough of that had happened that my family was just like, no, can't handle it. Um, And I I just got lucky in in a moment where I was like, able to look at the damage I was doing like I could actually see the pain it was causing to the people closest around me like Dali's partner Dave like I could feel him sort of drawing back because of my behavioral things and like my family I I had a moment where I actually saw like oh like my behavior isn't just messing me up it's messing up the people I love around me and luckily I had that that little bit of clarity where I was like all right the penny dropped in a sense and I was like fine I couldn't accept going to like rehab for me at that point but I was lucky enough to see like the pain it was causing others. And I was like, all right, I'll do it for you. And then luckily early on in rehab, I realized like, holy shit, maybe I am actually worth something here. I want to be doing this stuff mm. for me. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fine line because I, I don't think you want to accept like there's something wrong with you. Like I, I didn't want to be an alcoholic because most of the time I loved alcohol and I was able to have a good time on it. But I think the people that you were hanging around with as well, like, snow obviously doing some seasons myself in Canada like it's drinking and partying is very much encouraged and you know being able to drink copious amounts is definitely almost praise like if you can smash a beer back or if you can chug the fastest like you're a champion so it's kind of like that kind of environment encourages heavy drinking yeah definitely like it is it's almost feels like a cultural norm here like it's like you know you go to the pub you're smashing beers it's just sort of like ingrained in us. Like you, you got a problem, you go drink on it. You're having a good time. Add alcohol to the mix, and that, and I think that was a, a bit of a drawback for me as well. Like not wanting to accept I had a problem because I was like, how, how am I going to do stuff? How am I going to hang out with mates? Like how am I going to go watch the footy? All of those things that because alcohol is involved in pretty much every social aspect there is. Well, it's interesting you say that, Damon. It's so true, and I think a lot of people listening who drink, it's. It's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people can't actually go out, you know, socializing, like you said, whether it's to bars or, or pubs, et cetera, if, if they're not drinking. Mm. Um, and, you know, you've got to ask yourself, why is that the case? And we become, and I know you touched on it before, so dependent on drinking. And I think it's an interesting point you also touched on that it affects so much more than just yourself. Now that you're sober, have you found that your friendship groups have changed at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Like, I, th- I think like the, the big change is with my sort of willingness to I don't know, maybe be a bit more vulnerable and just like, hey, this is how I'm going. Like it's definitely changed the relationship. And a a big plus to come from it is just like my reliability. Like if I say I'm going to do something now, (laughs) I'm able to actually see it through. Like I'm not hungover or, you know, gone off the rails and that kind of stuff. What's up, darling? In the groups that you go to, like in your meetings, do you think that it's men are more inclined to suffer from alcohol addiction or do you feel like it's more of an even split? These days... Uh, it, it, it's getting close to 50, 50. I feel like there are still proportionally more guys in, you know, cause the, the, the program I'm in has been around for, you know, 80 odd years and they talk about the, the old days where it was all just men. But I think now it, it, it's, it's a pretty even playing field. There are, you know, just as many men as there are women. Yeah. It's just interesting you say that because you're saying a lot of your drinking came from like an emotional place. You were trying to suppress various emotions and obviously women are tend to be mm, slightly more open I, I suppose yeah and so would be more inclined to receive help because they're able to talk about things like that whereas with men it's kind of like suck it up be a man like 
all that kind yeah. of garbage. Yeah, and, and in saying that, like I think that whole suck it up, be a man garbage it keeps a lot of unwell guys still out there. It kept me going for as you know, until I pretty much had a breakdown to, you know, come to terms and go, I need help. And I think there's a lot of people out there still suffering, you know, a, a That's lot of true. guys. This, the stigma with men seeking help in general, um, whether it's mental health or something like, um, you know, alcohol addiction, it's breaking that stigma for men like yourself. You had that problem of not wanting to admit it almost. Yeah, you just suck it up. You keep going like everything's okay. When in reality, like that kind of formula, it's not going to be successful. I was touching on before, like suppressing emotions and, you know, smothering them and not accepting them. It doesn't make them go away. They're still there Mm. and they're just piling and piling. And at one point you're going to break. And I had that breaking point and that was the only, that was the time that I was like, okay, I need help. But I had denied it so much because I was just, I, I didn't want to let anyone know. How long between like you figuring it out and you actually going to rehab? Like, was that pretty quick? Oh, I had to be quick. Luckily, my family was in a position where they could afford to put me into a rehab right away. Like that moment of clarity to be like, all right, I need help. I cannot help myself was so fleeting. If like it was within a few days, like if it had been okay. any longer, I think I would have talked myself out of it and been like, oh, minimized the damage I'd done in that instance, that event, and just kept going. Like it was so fleeting. And that's mm-hmm. that's one of the difficult things I find in rehab. Like I just said, I'm very fortunate in the fact like my family could put me into a rehab right away. It's it's tough because people that aren't in that position, because that moment of like clarity is so fleeting, people in the public system will want help then and there because that's you know, you, you get that that realization, but you can't get yourself into a rehab right away next thing you know that moment's gone and you're you're back out there and who knows when you can get in like the the waiting list for public rehabs can be over six months you know so it's 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 quite it's quite a tough thing and yeah if it weren't for that who knows where where i would be right now because do you think sorry do you think that something like rehab potentially saved your life a hundred percent like 100 percent. it is Mm. the best thing i've ever done for myself and like i had every stigma attached to a rehab again that pride that ego is like rehab is for quitters who the hell needs to go to a rehab like just figure it out for yourself i was all that toxic thinking that i think Mm. a lot of people can have like why would you do that but honestly the the way it was going i don't know i don't know where i would have ended up my behavior was so reckless i didn't know where i would end up every time i got drinking by that stage like it saved my life like actually being vulnerable and putting my hand up and going yeah i need help was the best thing I've ever done. And to be honest, you, you probably don't look at it like that, but it's it's a brave thing that you did because it is brave to actually, like you said, a middle-aged male who's got an alcohol addiction or any addiction to actually realize that you've got a problem and to go, you know what, this probably will kill me and to go, you know what, I'm going to go to rehab, which mm. you did. I think so many people can take a lot away from that because it's, you've touched on it. You probably, you said it saved your life. And I think it's pretty powerful to hear you say that. And I think it's amazing to hear you say that. And when was it, you know, I understand that you were in there for two months, but when was it or during the process where you realized that, you know, there was light at the end of the tunnel, you saw you were progressing and you thought, you know what, I'm going to get through all of this. Yeah. I think I was really, really fortunate in in the sense that I had sort of had enough of a rock bottom this time to be accepting and, and understand like, I can't help myself. Like I was saying before, I went in because I saw how, like I had a moment of clarity to see what how it was affecting my family. So I went in there for them. 
but I would say within a week, like, and I think it was just sort of sobering up as well. Like you get a bit of mental clarity back. You don't have that fog. I didn't have like that vicious sort of internal voice like that, that bringing me down voice. Like I started feeling a bit more like me, which I hadn't in a long while. And yeah, like um, a, a little bit of joy and uh you know a little bit of optimism sort of shone through and and it happened pretty quick for me where i was just like oh wow like i can kind of see the wreckage i'm creating and maybe there is another way like i i just was lucky enough to be broke enough in that moment things had just escalated that i was just willing to go there's a better way here so initially i was Mm. just popped in there for 30 days i say popped in there I did go willingly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, popped in for 30 and I just, I started to just thaw out and start getting a little more open to, you know, people around me and even to myself, just getting a bit more honest about like my own feelings, my, what what I had been going through and 30 days just didn't feel like enough. I, I just felt like I was scratching the surface of like what it, what it meant to me to be drinking and why I was doing it. So I, really realized I wanted sobriety and I just was like, I need another 30 days. Like I don't want to risk this opportunity to get sober. I don't want to go back yeah. out there and have a relapse. Yeah. Well, look, it's uh, yeah, it's very powerful to hear you say that demo. Um, and I suppose to really learn so much about yourself and realize that there, you know, there's so much other parts in your life that you probably had completely, I guess, abandoned in a way during your alcohol dependency. Um, Cause when you're an alcoholic, you know, you lose so much of your life as in you know huge parts of your life you either can't remember it's a blur and you touched on earlier on with it's just like a a big part of your life so to get through all of that and to get through being sober do you find now that your life's transformed in a way that you've you know your days are more fulfilled and you've just kind of got such a more different outlook on life in in a way definitely and in a way definitely not like i think there seems to be a a general idea like you put you put down your substance alcohol or drugs because i feel like it's addiction where where that's what the problem is whatever you're chucking into yourself You, you put that stuff down and you know rainbows unicorns all that stuff it's it's all happy days and i would love it to be that way but it's not the case like yes I see a point to living, definitely, and I am a lot more optimistic for my future. But one of the things when you face recovery, and this is not to put anyone off, is but everything that I tried to avoid through drinking, I now have to sort of identify with and deal with. And one thing that is something I'm not accustomed to is that emotions we've been touching on. Now I don't have alcohol to get me through my days, and I am starting to feel again and just work through, you know, things that have maybe been, you know, traumatizing of my past, little bits and pieces, but now I don't have alcohol, so I've got to feel it. Luckily, there are like programs and things that you can do externally out of rehab to help you through that, and without that, I would be lost. So I'm so grateful for that. Like, yes, life is a 100 times better, but it's it's not an easy sort of path because you got to work through it. There's a lot of growth to be done, and like, it's a very positive thing because without sort of going through these things, I am sort of going to be destined to be that same guy. I'm not growing past sort of the pain of my past in a sense. Like you got to identify it, you got to work through it and, you know, be that bigger, better person. So it's hard, but I can see like that light at the end of the tunnel, like it will only make me stronger and put me in good stead to be the person that I want to be. You know, it's that path of doing it naturally and actually finding out your wants what you're passionate about, what you actually enjoy as a person. And yeah, like it, it puts you in that good step. It's not easy, 
but it's the it's the right path. So yes, life is That's better. Awesome. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a path like just more tricky. A, it's a harder life to live almost. Yeah, just because I haven't put down booze doesn't mean everything's perfect. Some people that I've I've interacted with, like you know, uh, people that you know can drink healthily and that kind of stuff. Like, and I'm I'm all for it. Like, if you can drink and it's not affecting your life, do it. Have a great time. I just know that I can't. But it seems to be people thinking some, like a, a couple of like mates from extended circles it's almost, I feel like they've got a little bit of a bitterness about it. Like I'm trying to avoid my past in a sense when in actuality, I'm trying to do the complete opposite. I'm trying to own my past, accept my behaviors of the past and grow past it. Whereas I think people think, oh, people go to rehab and then they don't have to, that wasn't them. That was just them on drugs or alcohol and they're not being accountable. Whereas it's totally the opposite. I think one thing that you said to me offline that really stood out Um, just in the conversation we had before we started recording, is that most people in particular situations think that they're the exception, that they're the special one, that they're, no, I am in control of this or, you know, I could have just one drink because, you know, I'm smarter than everyone else or I feel like I have a upper hand. Like I think that really resonated with me is that everyone sort of feels like they're the exception to the rule. Yeah, we, we talk about that in recovery being terminal uniqueness. People going, oh, yeah, 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 that's happened to you, but that'll, that'll never happen to me. Like, I am the exception. Like, I can do this differently. And uh, that's not like a poor character trait. I think it's just what a lot of people have. We're all trying to make sense. Mm. People feel that way about sickness as well. Like, oh, I'm not going to do yeah. a test or, you know, it's never going to happen to me. But or, or, Yeah, or like losing a loved one in a tragic accident. Like, oh, I thought it, that's what people are always saying. I thought this could never happen to me in whatever situation, but. We're all just humans and I think we're all just trying to, you know, make sense of our own existences in the world and, you know, we can only see the world through our perception, through our eyes and it is unique to yourself. So you've got a right to kind of feel unique but it kind of is a guise for some people. I knew it was for me. Like I thought I was the exception and I could do whatever I wanted to do and not be accountable for it. But yeah, It's a good point and I think you touched on that demo with the whole if, if some people can enjoy alcohol and drink in moderation and have a few drinks and have a couple of wines, then look, that's great. But you yeah. identified to yourself that you, you simply couldn't do it and I suppose I don't know if you call that a genetic disposition to alcoholism or um, what, whatever you want to call it but the fact is that you know you couldn't go from drinking that you do to become a social drinker you know you couldn't go from go oh no i can only have one beer when i get to the pub but i think it's uh, important that people listening realize that you're so dependent on it that you physically can't only have that one drink and you know what that's what people do so like for example dave's kind of like opted not to drink just because at the moment it's just not what he wants to be doing so he's been like basically almost sober for like a year and a half just because, you know, having a drink or two randomly, but definitely decreasing his um, drinking significantly. And I think the thing is that it's very common for people to be like, oh, just have one. Why Mm. don't you just have one? Mm. And if you're saying that to the wrong kind of person with that kind of addictive behaviour, maybe they've said to themselves, look, I'm not going to have any alcohol tonight. But then there's a group of people being like, oh, you know, just have one. It's like you have to have a concrete excuse not to have one. Yeah. Almost like that's what I've observed, at least from Dave's perspective, like being there with him. People just don't really understand why he just doesn't want one. Yeah, and I think that just comes from just the culture. Uh, it's it's just a very sociable thing to do. And people, you know, might want to have a, a few drinks. And then if someone says, no, I don't want to have them, it makes them uncomfortable. Like, well, but I want to have one, so enable me. But like, again, if you are doing it responsibly, you're having a few drinks, you, you get a bit tipsy, you're like, hey, 
cool. You, you, you go on a bed before 5 a.m. You're not calling in sick the next day to work because you've been on the piss all night. Like if it, okay, simple sentence. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. If you are yeah. thinking your drinking's problematic, maybe look into it a little bit more. But if you're, if everything's cool, go like enjoy your drink. Like if I could do it responsibly, I would love to be able to do it. But it just came to a head that when I have a drink, I crave another drink. And then by the time maybe the fifth hits, everything's off the cards. I have got it in me. I've got that buzz gone and I just want to keep chasing that warm and fuzzy feeling that it was giving me. And that's, you know, the, the different playing field. A lot of my mates, like you're saying, Davo, he can opt just to not have a drink for a year and a half. He's not an alcoholic. For me, like it's a day, it's a daily reprieve. Like I, it's hard for me because I conditionally yeah. want like you, you were saying before, like uh, going to rehab, when did you choose? You don't want to drink. It's not that easy because a part of me, because it was a coping mechanism, it made me feel like I had like comfort in the world. There's still a part of me that still wants it, which is ridiculous because you're like, yeah, going to rehab, you've done your 60 days. You haven't had a drink. I think I'm 16, 16 months up now. It doesn't mean like I'm cured from this. Like I still want it, but not enough. Like now I can see there's a better way, like we were talking before. And the better way for me is to be completely sober. Yeah, that, that's very, very true. Uh, I'd be interested to ask your thoughts, uh, Damo, because you probably, I don't know, you might have learned or know a lot more about this than I do, but the different types of alcoholics, I suppose. My idea of an alcoholic was that cliche. It's the homeless dude in the park, brown paper bag, soiling himself. Yeah. That's an alcoholic yeah, yeah, in my yeah. mind. In my mind, I still got a job. You know, I'm still doing, you know, things to justify that I'm okay because I'm doing these kind of things. So I think it's, yeah, when it becomes that problematic that you are thinking maybe you've got a problem, that's where you can identify. Like I go to like a, an outside sort of meeting group for this kind of stuff. Honestly, it can be kind of conflicting for me at times because I can hear war stories, like horrible things that people have done, but now they're, they're living a better life and they're making amends and they're, you know, they're, they're on that healthier path. But you'll hear the differences. You're like, well, man, no, I, I never did that. Like, am I an alcoholic? Do you think you you mentioned to me that, sorry to interrupt, but you uh, mentioned to me that you felt like your alcoholism was situational, like it was your environment. Is there is oh, there okay, another so, right. type of addiction? So I think what you're trying to go through there is like some people are, feel like alcoholism or addiction because you know i don't think the problem is alcohol it's substance abuse so if you're an addict through drugs or alcohol the problem is you're an addict some people believe it's hereditary like it's passed on through genes some science will suggest that for sure but for me like where i can find a difference and it's something that i've got to like not latch onto is nobody in my family drinks like i do my mum doesn't drink alcohol mm. at all my brothers can drink responsibly recently found out my father has no problems with alcohol or that kind of stuff so i think mine is just environmental just things that i'm looking back through my sort of childhood my history that kind of stuff like there's things that have i think it's just a condition it was a way of me coping on that day mate, you, you mentioned the um addiction in general with yeah. other drugs yeah. um did you have any other addictions with or you know, dependencies of other drugs. I never really viewed this until I got into recovery. Like I had a huge dependence on weed before I had a huge dependence on alcoholism. Like in my early mm. 20s, I think it's just that addictive nature inside of me. Like, What about smoking in general? Like um, 
just tobacco smoking. Have you ever been a smoker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still actually a smoker. Because um, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I've um, a few people I've spoken to or or know of who have had uh, a few issues with alcohol. For example, I find that a lot of them do continue with cigarette smoking, almost like that's kind of their. Um, I don't know, call it a release or whatever when they don't need to drink. Have you found you've increased your smoking since giving up alcohol? Yeah, honestly, for sure. Uh, and what I've sort of read on it and that kind of thing, they say if you can, and this is like the government-based rehabs, they will stop you from smoking tobacco right away. Um, I would have found that too harsh. But the good thing about doing it then is because I now only have smoking, I feel like it's the only vice I'm allowed to have. So stopping. Yeah seems you know i think considerably more difficult because it's like my one little outlet even though i know the dangers which, or i know how bad it is for me but it's just it's that conflicting thing i've had so which a much lot of, a lot of people way. have that yeah it's very a common. lot of people rely on whether it's whether it's cigarettes or um you know even food people becoming dependent on food and seeking yeah. happiness within food is something that like i think a lot of people aren't even aware that it's happening or like you know even coffee people saying oh i can't function my day without coffee well like i think there's a significant portion of australians that are highly dependent on caffeine without really even realizing yeah look you you raise a really good point there like uh we, we had this awesome woman coming in once a week in, the, in our rehab and she was uh some kind of like i don't know if it's a motivational speaker but she was just incredible and she would you know put through and she's like everybody has addictive tendencies like everybody on the planet has something but i guess we're just not aware and yeah it can be anything you can do anything compulsively like social media is a huge one at the minute like i think people are kind of gauging how much how much they're relying on it for that little dopamine spike you know you see a few thumbs up on your post that's releasing a little chemical in your brain going, oh, that's a reward, and you start going down that rabbit hole. I'm not saying jump off social media today or anything like that, but it's just we as people do have our vices. We have our little outlets because a part of our brain is seeking gratification because that's what gets us feeling good and that's what keeps us going. Like It's part of our motivational process. Yeah, it's a good point you mentioned there, Damo, about addiction because I think a lot of people – picture the word addiction automatically uh you know think about an alcoholic or someone who's addicted to drugs or someone who's addicted to to gambling but i think it's a lot further than that um and like you're saying the motivational speaker that came in when you're in rehab to talk about addiction everyone's got some sort of addiction and you know i think to be honest like myself i think i'm definitely you know guilty of the social media thing you touched on you kind of have that um you know 100 percent always going into how many likes I get for that post. I mean, it's like, kind of like, why does that matter? But I feel like it's, it's definitely a big issue, but it's interesting. And I know Russell Brand, I don't know if you've read that book from Russell Brand. He's got the book called recovery freedom from all, from our addictions. Mm. And he basically talks about exactly that, how uh, everyone has got an addiction, whether it's shopping, online shopping, whether it's, you know, social media, like you said, everyone's got an addiction of some sort. And I guess some are more detrimental to your health than others. Yeah. Well, like I'm looking at my cigarette, pouch at the minute and i can see a dude with a tumor the size of his entire tongue in his mouth so i know it's <laughs> it's not the best thing for me to be doing tonight. but he, he, here's um here's an interesting one though that i think it's a good point you mentioned that with the old mate on your cigarette packet with a tumor the i suppose the the initiatives in place for something like smoking obviously smoking is the number one or lung cancer the number one cause of death um in for cancers mm-hmm. it's clearly prevalent kills a lot of people but so too does alcohol alcohol related deaths deaths yeah. whether it's alcohol itself whether it's alcohol related you know domestic violence whether it's drink drivings whether it's 
alcohol results into other health concerns. But do you find it interesting when, mm. for example, there is so much, you know, on cigarette packets and in media and everything about how bad <sighs> smoking is. And then there's so much about how bad marijuana is and mm. it's illegal. If you get, if you get caught with a bit of cocaine, you know, you bloody can get locked up <laughs> that type of stuff. But for some reason uh, yeah. you look on our TVs and the Australian cricket team's got, you know, alcohol sponsors and you look on your ads and two for one drinks and this, that and the other and happy hours at pubs. Yeah. Like, Why is it that all these other drugs like cigarettes and, and illicit, illicit drugs are so frowned upon, yet but something alcohol. like alcohol is almost just accepted in Australia as a thing that we do. Yeah, dude, and it's, like, accepted a lot in Western culture. It's sexy. Like, alcohol is just, you know... Alcohol big. is sexy. He's absolutely fucking right. As this <laughs> thing. It's marketed beautifully, like, and if done responsibly, honestly, like, that social lubricant. You you, mm. you, know, you get a little more calm and, and you want to enjoy yourself and you're able to have a good time. Like if done responsibly, it's it's quite nice. It's just how damaging it really can be. And you touched on there like the related deaths, whether it is a, just, you know, your body shutting down from over drinking, but there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. Like, yeah, the, the drink driving offences and the domestic violence, all of those and suicide, man. Like, um, yeah. Unfortunately, like in recovery, I'm exposed to a lot more of the darker side of drinking. And I've known only in a short amount of time, like a few people that have ended their lives because they can't give up drinking. I think I think I just want to make it really clear to everybody that is listening that we aren't here on an alcohol crusade. We're not here to say never drink alcohol again. Alcohol damages lives. Like Damo said, it can be (laughs) something very enjoyable. There's something special about sitting down with the people that you care about and, you know, having a glass of wine with a home-cooked meal or, you know, going out to celebrate particular achievements in life. Like it can be a very, it's not all negative. So I just wanted to make that really clear. And that's, and that's something I'm trying to push as well. Like if, yeah, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. If you can enjoy it responsibly, go, go for it. Mm. It, It's a part of society, but yeah, it, it is interesting that, you know, tobacco products, you get all these warnings and all we get at the end of an alcohol ad, if anything, I don't think, but there's a little thumbs up and enjoy responsibly. That, that drink responsibly, of, yeah. yeah. Drink responsibly. And then at the, and it's similar to gambling, you know, like yeah, gambling yeah. is so addictive for some people and all it is is that quick little thing. If you're gambling, call this number. And you're like, what? That's all they the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. at the end and you're just like, yeah. No, you're spot on. You're spot on, Damon. It's like I've definitely put my hand up and say I've had gambling problems in my life in the fact that I've definitely realised I've actually probably got a problem here and I've actually gone and saw like a local area to try and sort that out, you know, ban my sports bet accounts, those type things. It's just because the ease of it, like, and you touch on the social media thing. Accessibility. And it's kind of like alcohol. You know, there's always a bottle shop. There's always a pub. There's always two-for-one drinks. There's always this. And the same with gambling. In a touch of a button, you can go on a sports bet. You don't even have to put in your card details. You can oh. deposit money and you can just gamble. And it is so dangerously easy that without even knowing it, you have just blown through hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But like you said, where are the, where are the ads and where are the campaigns to show you know a gambling addict who's completely ruined their entire life? Or where's the ad campaign showing that you know alcoholics completely ruin their lives like they do with the smoking and the, the other illicit drug ads? And I think that's just something that, you know, it is, it probably needs to be, you know, discussed more, more about because I think it, it is a can problem you, for a lot of people. Can you imagine if there was like an ad on TV that 
depicted alcohol in the same way they depicted cigarettes. They'd be outraged. Yeah, People no. would be so <laughs> mad. But I think what's really interesting is that, like, I think a lot of youth switch off to you know, older figures discussing binge drinking because they all kind of depict binge drinking as, oh, you know, you have five drinks and you're a binge drinker, like that's classified as binge drinking. And I just think that a lot of youth just switch off to it. They just don't, they're just like, fucking five drinks isn't that much, shut up. Like I just feel like they're coming at it from a the wrong kind of angle. I don't know. What yeah. do you guys think? Yeah, I think maybe like that authoritative angle, you're not going to get through like because... I still clearly remember being 18 and I was invincible. You know, you couldn't tell me anything. Like you, you feel almost immortal at that age and like you, you've got someone older telling you what to do and you're like, no, man, that ain't me. We touch on that, uh, touch a lot in this this podcast, is that exact mindset of youth or younger demographics who do think they're, they're invincible and they, they can't get cancer. You know, they'll never fall down that slippery slope with being in, you know, alcoholism and this type of mentality, which we got to change that conversation. And this is why we think this episode is very prevalent, Damo, is that I think it is an issue more so than people probably admit. Want to believe. Yeah, yeah. will want to believe. And I think it's important to hear someone like your story to go, you know what, here's just your everyday, real normal Aussie bloke who drank socially with his mates who went out to town who loved to dabble in you know x y and z and just have a good time with the lads Mm. and then you get to the point that you go you know what it's affecting my life to the point that it probably would have killed you and i think it's a, a very powerful thing to say that and i think on that if there are people listening out there who might think they have a problem but they might not want to admit it and a few things that you've spoken about kind of hit home a little bit what do you say to people listening that I suppose some advice or takeaways for them who, you know what, they might have a problem. They might not admit it yet, but what are some some takeaways from your side of things that could maybe help them? Yeah, I think being willing to stick your hand up and ask for help is is the big one. I know there's a, a, a it feels like there's a bit of shame in doing so. I know it was really, really hard for me. I didn't want anyone to see the pain I was in and that kind of stuff. And that held me up for a few years. So it's about sort of letting someone know and if you don't have anyone around you that you can trust, like there is, you know, Lifeline and Beyond Blue, there are services out there. And I say that almost hypocritically because I didn't call those things. I knew they existed, but for me, my pride was in the way so much that I was like, no, I'm doing this on my own. But I wish I had had the willingness to, to do it. Yeah. All right. How about from the perspective, for example, of a family member or a caring friend? So let's just say anyone who's listening, who is a family member or a friend, what do you think is the most helpful thing that they can do to help someone that they care about? Look, yeah. It, good point. Good point. It, that's, that is a good question. Like, yeah, and it's tough because I can only speak from my experience. Like this is just my opinion based on what I have gone through. Of course. And I had people being like, yo, like, you've got to do something different. The last job I had, I had bosses being like, can we help you? How can we help you? But I was so resistant to it. Anyone trying to get close to me, I just push them further away. Like, no, I'm fine. So I think instead of kind of giving your opinion to try and help someone, maybe just try and listen if they're willing. Like, can you tell me what is going on? Is there anything I can be doing to help? And if you're sort of coming in, on a semi-like judgmental approach, like or authoritative approach, like you need to be doing this, stop doing that. Like you're just going to be met with resistance, I feel. So I know it's hard because, you know, this person could be being really destructive to themselves and towards you and that patience might be really hard to find. But 
it's, it's, it's a hard one to navigate. You've kind of, it's, it's very personal. You've got to understand because like, I think at one point I told Dave, I'm not doing too well, but then my pride got in the way. And the very next day mm. I'd like believed it out of existence. Like I was like, no, that never happened. I've never, you know, like, so it's hard. I suppose I just want to ask you as well, Damo, mm. compared to where you were at your darkest times and you touched briefly on, I think it's important to touch on the mental health side. Mm. How has your mental health transformed from when you were in your dark times? Like you said, it was almost just that masking approach, the alcohol you used as a, a mechanism to almost mask what was truly going on. But how do you find your mental health is now? And looking back at when you were in your dark days, um, yeah, what was the transformation like for you? Yeah, look, it's it's pretty uh, unbelievable. It, it's even hard for me at this point with sort of like the level of happiness and just composure I have to even identify with the person that I was before. Like I was tired of existing but didn't have enough motivation to end it, if that makes sense. Like I was so, so tired you did of... Have, yeah, you a little. did have those thoughts? I, I had like, I guess you'd say like suicidal ideations but never... Yeah. Like just with losses that we'd had in the family, there's no way I could put, you know, my brothers and my mother through that. So it was just like a thought, but something I could never go through with. But like my will to live was pretty much gone. But I was able to hold down a job and be good at my job and, you know, keep up appearances enough to keep up the charade. And I was literally dying. From from my perspective as well, like after Damo came back and I remember... um, we went to Borsa for a friend's birthday. And I just remember like the conversation that I had with you that night was something like I'd, I'd known you 10 years. Mm. And I would say like, since coming back, like we've had a much stronger friendship and I feel like I know more things about you. And I, just in general, like I just, you could absolutely see a shift. And I feel like mental health has a lot to do with that. Like being able to have particular conversations about something a little bit more in depth, I suppose. I feel like before our friendship was very surface level, whereas yeah. now I feel like it's progressing more. And as, as the more you sort of go, you know, the more time that you have under your belt, the more, the closer that I feel to you personally, that's just mm. my perspective. Yeah. And, and that, I think that just comes with, with what I'm sort of doing now. Like I, I've intentionally taken time off work to really just figure out who I am without alcohol because a lot of what I was doing in life was, you know, around alcohol, every social event, all of those kind of things. It was just alcohol. And now I'm just on a bit of personal discovery. I'm opening up to who I am, not only to everyone else, but to myself, like understanding what my likes are and what drives me and what my actual hobbies are, what I enjoy. And because I am more open, yeah, you get, you get past that almost front, that superficial small talk, Mm. that, and, and even though, like, Dahlia, like, you're one of my best mate's partners, like, and we spend a lot of time together, hours of conversation, like, for me, I could never really let anyone in because I, I think a part of me, I, I didn't even want to know what was going on with me because it was too painful. Like, I wasn't, I didn't want to identify with what was going on inside because I wanted it to all be glitz and glamour, you know. I wanted to produce this front that everything was all right. Yes, fun demo who's like, and initially yeah. when we met, it was pretty fun but then it definitely deteriorated and now I feel like we're on this upward trajectory now of like the, the time that we spend together is much mm. more of a quality time rather than this it's like much more superficial fulfilling relationship <laughs> yes so, yeah. I love that and on that I suppose Damo with that um you know you seem like you've 
come a long way, which is, which is amazing. And I suppose Dahlia, who's known you through this time, can obviously see that firsthand. But what are some of your future aspirations and, and goals with everything? Like, are you kind of just taking each day as it comes? Do you, um, do you have a few things you really want to work your way towards? You know, if you, I guess, looking, looking forward. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, it comes with its own sort of new pressures because I feel like my eyes are open. You know, I've been given this stuff second chance at life and I can take it seriously and I can be a bit more emotionally aware and know the things I want. But then it sort of comes with its own pressures like, yes, it's, you know, my second chance and what I want to do, I want it to be, you know, great now because I feel like, yeah, almost reborn in a sense, as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. It's, it's a, What's it's that a, quote? You're in, you, you, you have two, what is it? You have two lives. Hey. Oh, what is that? And then you, it's like you have two lives. Usually, Dali, when you're leading with something and you, you kind of, you need the quote, you know, kind of go, what's that quote when you got um, two lives? <laughs> it's like, rich or die trying. I need day four because I get all my... Get your shit together, Dali. Actually, on that, can we just, um, can we mention, uh, I'm, I'm about to read it out, Dave, your lovely husband and obviously one of Damo's good mates, put a Facebook status up the other day and it's uh, one of Dali's classic quotes. It says, it says, hey, can you play that song from the other day? That has the intro like another song and I was like oh yeah but it was a different one <laughs> yes oh, right Dallas. he enables oh, my behavior right because he but he oh, answered no. it okay. and he can he figures out what I'm saying he, I yeah. talk I speak in code and he yes. cracks it I'd yes, but Damo, Damo and I, Damo and I aren't Dave. So when you oh. said, "Hey guys, do you know that that quote that um you know to do with two lives?" and <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, wait, I don't. wait, wait. I feel like maybe Willie posted it. Yeah, I reckon maybe. he did. Got it. Got it. Right, here we go. Here we, we go. Each have two lives. Okay, ready? We yep. each have two lives, and the second begins when we realize we only have one. Mm, I like it. Mm, How do you like them apples? I told you it was relevant. Yes, well done. Yeah, yeah, well done. But it's <laughs> no, true. It. Like you're you're experiencing this second half of your life type thing because you I'm realize understanding this is my my shot. Yeah. It's um. So I suppose just to to start closing things up there, Damo, and I think you know, it's one of those things that there's so many questions and conversations around this, and I think it would be very awesome to almost do a bit of a a Q and A approach. Yeah, yeah. Mm, great minds, sure, great minds sure. think alike. Dahlia, but yeah, a bit of a Q&A just because I know I've got heaps of questions and all that type of stuff. But I suppose you hit the nail on the head before, though, when you said that just because you're now been sober for 18 months and, you know, you've got this new chapter in your life and this new lease on life, really, people expect that like, you know, oh, well, that's awesome. But you're still going to have some bumps along the way. You're still going to have some down days. You're still going to have some struggles. And I think it's important to realize that. And it's, it's no different to to uh, you know, a cancer patient, people think just because you're all clear cancer-wise, yeah. you, you know, life you you got to be happy all the time and life's fantastic. But yeah, it's yeah. it's like, hang on a second. It's for us, it's kind of like the post remission complexities in a way that you still struggle with certain things. And like, just because you're cancer-free, you still have those down days. And I think that's important for someone like yourself who's gone through it. You have is that you still have down days. <laughs> yeah, and and I think Dahlia and I were talking about this off air before, and it. It, it is just that that thing like we are still human thing events and things can happen like you know i, I put down a drink and people expect like oh your, your world's going to be wonderful now and it's like no i still have human emotions and i still have all these things and i, and I guess it would be a, a similar transferable thing for you know people with cancer and you you know you, mm. you fight it and you get through the good fight and people are like you're you should be seeing this through that rose colored tint you know the world's always wonderful mm. but it's we're still emotional beings and it's great to be a fighter and get through all these things but yeah, there's going to be good, there's going to be bad, and that's 
just the acceptance of what it is to be a person, you know. <laughs> nothing yeah. is perfect. Like nothing is perfect. And one thing that I'm trying to get a hold of is like I'm practicing being a better person, but I'm not practicing to be perfect, you know. And it's not easy, but accepting where you're at mm. and accepting that you're actively trying is is what you need to focus on, not, you know, your shortfalls. Don't yeah. focus on the shortfalls. Focus on the things that you, you yeah. know, you're actively trying. Definitely. It's practice, mm. not perfection. And that's something that I think I like we, we're geared in the wrong direction with it because, uh, look, I'm not completely against social media, but, like, a lot of what we see is produced to the best you know, that someone can, like a photo is not going to, you're doing it for the likes. So it's going to be produced to be almost perfect. And we look at that and go, why isn't my stuff that perfect? A previous episode we had just quickly jumping in there because it's smack bang on that. We did an episode about comparing yourself to others. And we actually had one of the the things we said is how we compare our behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. Yeah. So behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel, I think you've just touched on that. It can be very detrimental if you do do that. Look, I've just got two more questions before we, we close out because, like I said, I'll, otherwise I'll keep asking them. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it's um, <laughs> the first one is kind of a t- two-pronged question. Do you still uh, do you still go to pubs? Do you still catch up with mates around alcohol type of thing? And if you do, mm-hmm. do you find yourself drinking a, a glass of Coke? And kind of how do you find that environment? And the second part of the question is, uh, now that you've been sober for about 18 months, are you convinced that you'll never drink again? All right. So first up, I was sort of made aware how dangerous that kind of stuff can be in the early days of recovery. That they, they chalk it up to an easy statement of like, you sit in a barber shop for long enough, you're going to get a haircut. So if I'm in early recovery and I'm, if I'm sitting around a bar, my instinct is going to get me to want to drink. So I, I yeah. distanced myself. I set some pretty healthy boundaries initially like, I don't want to be around right. booze until I feel comfy. And these days, yeah, if I'm if I'm having a good time, like a good day, I'm fine to be in the in a pub with you know mates that I trust. But yeah. I think a good practice for me is I always have to have an exit strategy. So if I've made plans and I'm actually feeling a bit not not too great mentally, it's okay to just say, look, I'm not doing, I'm not feeling it. Um, sorry, but I'm not going to come. Or if I do go, just make sure I've got a way to leave if I if I start yep. feeling uncomfortable. It's just knowing what I'm feeling. The final part there, Damo. So now that you've been sober for 18 months uh, yeah. or near enough, are you convinced that you'll never drink again? Yeah, I think what I was just saying sort of ties into that. Like the fact that I still need to be aware of how I'm feeling when I'm going into situations with alcohol. No, I cannot honestly say I will never not drink again. I do not want to drink again. I love the opportunity that I have got to know myself in sobriety and my mental health just on a whole nother level, actually feeling joy and happiness and just feeling even sadness, like properly identifying with feelings is, as a guy, I thought something I would never openly feel or even be able to say. But to say that I'm cured and never drink again, that's, I think that's a dangerous thought. I need to be... You know, I need to practice this. I, mm. I'm, I wish I could just have a couple and it be responsible, but it's just something, if you want to look into the science of it, there's a lot that they explain with the difference in an addict's brain to a regular brain. Believe it if you don't want. It, it, it's all up to you, but I'm, I believe I'm wired a certain way that 
I, I crave it. So yep. I have a program in place, something that I do enough to keep me healthy, happy, and it's something that I'll work on. And in time, I think the urge will be less and less, but I would love to not drink again. But if I don't look after myself, nothing's guaranteed. No, nah, it's good. It's a good point, mate. But you know what? 18 months of bloody fantastic effort. And I think it's fantastic with uh, how open you are with it and uh, you know how real you are with it. And I think there's um, it's amazing for anyone out there listening who who might sort of be struggling themselves. I look at you as being someone who's brave for, like you said, breaking that stigma down, actually seeking help, realizing you've got a problem, going to rehab and coming out the other side, a, a different person, new lease of life. And I think that's amazing, mate. And not knowing you personally, it's uh, it's fantastic. And I'm bloody happy for you. So thanks so much for, for opening up and sharing your journey with us though, Damo. No, I'm really grateful that you had me on, man. Thanks for those kind words. It's uh yeah, it's, it's a journey and it's, I can just, yeah, so it's, it's worth taking. Like it's scary. It, it, it can be painful, but the light on the other side is, is really worthwhile. Like if you think it's a problem, maybe try and talk about it with someone. There is help out there and there, there is another way. It, it can be tough, but um, I'm enjoying life a heck of a lot more than I was only a year and a half ago. You've been listening to the 25 Stay Alive podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to get fresh new weekly episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 25 Stay Alive. And feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.